Hey everyone, we appreciate you listening. We'll get into the show in a bit, but just want to mention, go check out our Twitter page, at Midcourt Madness, for all of our show updates, as well as some breaking news tweets. Also, check out our website, where we post all of our writing at midcourtmadness.wordpress.com. Here's the show. On today's Midcourt Madness, we are climbing the ladder of conference preview season. Last week was the low major conferences, and we're going to start the power conferences next week. But right smack dab in the middle is who we will be talking about this week, the mid-majors. We've isolated the AAC, the A-10, the Mountain West, and the West Coast, and we will talk about the key players in those conferences and who could make some noise come tournament time right after this. All right, Biggs, we're going to get into these teams here very shortly. Um, but I, I, was, I was just going to talk to you about sort of the state of the mid-majors here and ask you sort of a question at the end. Now, last year, I'm sure you're aware, half of the Final Four came from mid-majors, and both those teams we're going to talk about during this podcast. And, you know, with all the stuff with the Big 12, you know, picking, basically plucking some of the teams from the AAC. And I feel like the past few years, the mid-majors have sort of built a little reputation of – sort of closing that gap of talent between the mid-majors and the power conferences. But like I said, just said, Big 12 is poaching some teams and other conferences could fall suit. Now, my question is, do you think in the next, say, 5, 10 years, this gap between the power six and the mid-majors is going to increase or decrease? Well, it's so hard to, I mean, it's so hard to know just with what's coming in the next handful of years with when it comes to conference realignment. I mean, if, if we go to some sort of monster 16-team super conferences or whatever, I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine mid-majors are going to continue getting – I mean, right right now, it's it's obviously mid-majors are built on on talented guys slipping through the cracks, right? Good players that just don't have an opportunity to get, to get noticed. Uh, they might not have the exposure in high school, or it's a kid that's six foot and then he spurts up to six five when he's a senior, and by that time all the, the musical chairs have kind of done playing – Stuff like that, that that kind of the kids slip through the cracks for whatever reason, and they end up with a school, and uh, guys just develop at different rates. Um, but still, it, it's really hard to imagine. It, it's hard to imagine the gap getting a whole lot narrower if if the if the fishbowl is getting smaller. If these teams yep. are starting to not even be willing to branch out and play more mid majors, that's getting harder and harder to, to just schedule games for some of these teams. It feels like it's very exclusive, right? It's more it's more built on exclusion rather than inclusion for these power conferences. Um, that would be where I would probably state. I would I would say it seems like the exclusion is going to widen that that gap. Yep. But I but I would say this. I'm not sure. You know, you call Gonzaga mid major. Um, you call they're in a mid major conference. Yeah. You you call Houston a mid major. I I have a hard time. With my brain, I guess when I think of the American Athletic, when you're talking Houston and, and Wichita and Memphis, these teams just don't seem like mid-major teams, right? I, I guess maybe that's maybe that's a me thing, but when I hear mid-major, I think like little engine that could. So maybe I'm thinking more too much of the small major, and I'm not thinking enough in a middle level. But I know right. the AAC and the WCC are not power conferences, so to speak. It's not the Big Ten. It's not the SEC, whatever. But... Boy, I mean those those basketball programs. I mean Gonzaga spends as much money on their basketball program as anyone in the country. I would assume Houston is a massive market and, and a and a big brand that's had a ton of success over the years. It's got great history. You know, 
I, I don't I don't know if you're gonna ever consider. I mean, Houston, like if they were to jump into the Big Twelve this year, I, I would say a top four finish in that league would be plausible for them. I mean, they've had as much success as anybody over the last three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, but yeah, I, I think to add to your point, I think you know the gap is probably going to widen, but I think there's still going to be those few teams, Gonzaga, Houston, Gonzaga for sure. Uh, I yeah. think they're always going to be good. Houston, I think, especially this year, I think they're going to level off some. Um, but Memphis, if if Penny Hardaway is actually a good coach, and given the recruits they've gotten, you know, he has everything he needs to have a successful program there. Now, whether yeah, I don't know if he doesn't even have to be that good a coach for them to have a ton of success, just because he can kind of, you know, he can just kind of roll the ball out and let those guys yeah. go. And I mean, if he's a really good coach, then their ceiling is obviously higher, but. Uh, they should be able to win. They go. They win with you and me coaching on the sidelines. Yeah, and yeah, and like if uh, if he doesn't get that success in the next couple of years with the level of talent he's getting, like I don't think he's going to worry about having to get that program to be a prominent program because he just won't be there anymore. Yeah, good call. He'll go to the um, NBA. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get into previewing some of these teams. Um, you know, we mentioned the four the four conferences that we're um, going to be previewing here. We've isolated i've got about 15 that i sort of want to get to if we don't get to all of them that's not no biggie um but out of these four i think we can both agree that gonzaga is the best program out of any of these conferences um but which top to bottom which conference do you enjoy watching the most i'm not gonna say most talented i'm just gonna say which one's the most entertaining boy that's that's a tough question that's that's really good in terms of just general brand of basketball i mean obviously how can you not like watching gonzaga i mean Watching West Coast Conference basketball is not my favorite because usually it's Gonzaga crushing everyone. You know, a couple times a year they'll run into really good games. I mean, obviously we'll probably talk about BYU, which is another yep. team that it's usually them they're, they're or rising Saint in Mary's. power. Yeah, it's that? usually it's usually BYU or St. Mary's. That, yeah, that challenges them. Yep. Yeah, if they play, if they play, how many conference games they they play? Sixteen conference games or whatever. Usually fourteen of them or thir- thirteen of them are like garbage. Yep. One against BYU is good. One against St. Mary's is good. And then there's one where, you know, out of nowhere, that's somehow like, ooh, Gonzaga's down at the half. Are they going to get upset? Um, I would say, honestly, I really like watching the Mountain West. I really like watching that Mountain West tournament's always really fun to watch. Probably one of those things where it's like there's no other basketball on. And the only time you can catch Mountain West basketball, it's kind of your Pac 12 after dark kind of situation. Um, and there's always good teams. I think that's a really underrated kind of slept on league. I mean, you've got San Diego State's been consider- consistently one of the better, you know, what, 20 programs in the country. They're always ranked kind of in that range. Nevada's had really good runs here in recent years. Colorado State's had good runs. BYU was in the Mountain West. Now they're not, but there have been good teams. UNLV's had good teams. There, there's some depth in that league where there are good teams there. Okay. Yeah, so let's get into that one first then. Sure. And, okay, I think we could probably both agree the most talented team – past few years and also this year probably is San Diego State. You know, there's they've had they're a team that they've had years where they're top like they're a four, five, six seed, you know, sort of that range. Um and, you know, they don't have a ton of returning talents. Um Nathan is probably their best guy. Um but they do get some good transfers in. Matt Bradley is a guy who averaged eighteen points playing for Cal in the Pac twelve a year ago. Um I'm not I don't know how to pronounce his name. Tahiro Diabite, he's trans- coming in from Portland, sat out a year ago, averaged 9.6 before that, so two years ago. Um, so it's not a terrible team. Um, Brian Dutcher's a good coach. Um, and 
you know, but they do have a lot of talent to replace. Jordan Shackle, he graduates. Matt Mitchell, he graduates. They're both in that 14 and 15 points per game range. So they have a lot of production to replace this year. Um, what do you make of this team? Yeah, I think San Diego State is one. We've talked about this with some of the earlier kind of programs where it's like your coach just kind of – you just get kind of a program bump, right? It's, it's like the names – the names on the back of the jersey, and I'm assuming they have names on the back of their jerseys. It's always funny when teams – it's always funny when people will say, like, the name on the back of the jersey is more important than the front, and then you'll see the jersey, and there aren't actually names on the back. I think it's like – Do they say that about the Yankees? That's what I, that's the that's the example I guess I'm thinking of. I feel like I feel like I've heard that where baseball players are like I'm not worried about the names on the back. It's like, well, dude, there are no names on the back. It's the yeah, Yankees. Exactly. I think there are other jerseys like that too. Let's just assume there's more. Um, <laughs> but the but the name on the front of the jersey just means I think that I don't remember the last time San Diego State was like not at least decent, right? right. They, they haven't they haven't been like the undefeated team in the country like they were a couple of years ago, like level all the time. But they're always just kind of rock solid. And I guess I would expect more of that this year. Uh, You mentioned uh, Matt Bradley is is one of the top transfers in the country. He averaged like 18 points a game on a pretty bad Cal team. You know, if, if we're, if we're truly still subscribing to the 130% rule, was that it? Yes, that is correct. That is correct. If he averages 18 points a game, whatever 130% of 18, (laughs) about 22, 23 points a game. I don't know if it'll be that high, but he, he gives you kind of a go-to score that you're, you need to kind of fill in after losing Mitchell and Shackle. Yep. Trey Pulliam started at point guard for them last year, and he doesn't put up a lot of numbers, but, um, you know, he's a key kind of spearhead to their defense. And then you mentioned the big guy, Nathan Mensa. This guy was like an absolute force defensively for them. Two years ago, the team that that uh, was, was one of the final kind of defeated teams. Mensa, I remember he kind of made his name because when they played Iowa, he, he held Luca Garza to like eight points. I mean, he was – he was terrific defensively. He's not much of a scorer, but he's just a big, physical, kind of dominant defender. He's got, like, defensive player of the year potential in the Mountain West um, and a guy that can really protect the paint and, and kind of control the game. Do, do they have enough offense? I guess I don't know. They, they always seem to have this kind of team, though, where they're they're kind of Florida state where they're, like, long and lanky and they've got a bunch of guys who can run and jump and defend. And, and figuring out if you can find that kind of bucket getter, so to speak, is the big question, and it seems like Bradley could be that guy. Yeah. Now, okay, If I think we can both agree that this team is probably the leading candidate to be, like, the best – like, make the tournament for the team. I, I shouldn't say that. There's probably going to be multiple teams in this conference. But probably the leading candidate in this conference. Now, who do you think is going to be the team to, you know, challenge them the most? Here's how I would put it. I, I would say San Diego State feels probably, like, the safest bet to be – a tournament team, like I think, I think the gap between their floor and their ceiling is probably like the smallest. You know, they feel like a safe team, right? I, I think even if things don't go well, I think they're going to still be decent. Um, I think the team that's got the highest ceiling is actually Nevada. I think Nevada. They finished the year last year pretty well. They they won a couple games in the conference tournament. They beat some of the upper echelon teams in the in the regular season, kind of down the stretch of the Mountain West. And they've got a hell of a roster coming back along with some transfers. They've got their, their backcourt with Grant Sherfield and Desmond Cambridge. They're both kind of all-conference guys. I think Sherfield is a potential player of the year. He, I bet he, he gets fills player up of the, the year, stats. Like he, yeah. yeah, not only does he average 18 points per game, he averaged six assists per game a year ago. So he's getting his guy, guys set up very well. Yeah, and, and Steve Alford's their coach. And, I mean, he, his offenses, it seems like, kind of run a lot of stuff with their point guard. The ball is in his hands a ton. So he's got a great influence over the game. Uh, Warren Washington's coming back. So your top three scorers are all coming back. Trey Coleman, another kind of swing man. 
type of guy. And then they've got two transfers who who I think could be really impactful. And AJ Brahma, who comes over from Robert Morris in like a dozen games last year, they had a really shortened year, but he averaged 21 and 10. Uh, the year before that, in a full season, he was like 14 and 9. So, I mean, this guy's kind of a double double caliber kind of swing forward. Uh, and then Will Baker is a five star. He was a, originally a five star recruit, a uh, commit at Texas, and then he bailed on Texas maybe like yeah. kind of halfway through the season, and he's at Nevada now. So, if, if he's kind of if he can kind of live up to that pedigree, boy, you've got a front court that just not a lot of Mountain West teams are kind of equipped to deal with. Yeah, and continuing on with Will Baker, I think he's going to be ending his third season. Um, he is a former four-star recruit, so he is a highly rated recruit. Um, just could never find his footing, and even last year he only averaged two points per game. But they did; they had some talented post players a year ago. Yeah. Um, very talented front court over at Texas. One more transfer who um, is also coming to them from Florida Atlantic is uh, Keenan Blackshear. Um, averaged nine and a half points per game there. So, I mean, 70% rule, seven points per game. Nice little addition there too. Sure, that gives you that gives you even more depth. And I mean, again, with with Sherfield and Cambridge on the in the backcourt, those guys are going to gobble up a lot of the minutes and suck up a lot of the oxygen. But if you've got seven eight guys, I mean, you, you, they've got a squad there where I think the ceiling for that team is like potentially. I think they've got maybe the best uh, six months from now. I would not be surprised if we're talking about this Nevada team as one that's like, ooh, no one wants. To, you're not going to want to play them because of their guards and, and their size up front. All right, uh, let's see. Let's move over to Utah State. You know, they lost their coach from here ago. Um, Craig Smith leaves for greener pastures to he gets he gets a state out of his school's name and goes to Utah. But they get a little magic coming in bigs. They get the new head coach, Ryan Odom, and they get two transfers, RJ Idle Rock. It's a hyphenated one there. And okay. Br- Brandon Horvath. Averaging 13 and 14 points per game, respectively, all from UMBC. And I'm not the, the UMBC, the the one and only to ever beat a number one seed and then have that number one seed win a national title the, the very next year. Followed by a pandemic, right? Yes. Followed by Ohio knocking them off, which a team we, we mentioned last week on our pod. You can find our pods at, at Midcourt Madness. Right, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. There it is. Yes. And it's a team, you know, lost to Texas Tech in the first round a year ago. Um, and they do lose a good amount of talent. Nemius Keita, 14 points per game a year ago. Their center, man in the middle, goes the NBA. Um, Marco Anthony and Wor- Rolly Worcester, um, their backcourt from a year ago, they basically follow Craig Smith to Utah. So... How do you think this team is going to be this year? They do get one guy from Utah, so a little trade there. But Ryland Jones doesn't average four points per game there. Maybe he gets a little bump there. What do you think of this team? I not a ton. I mean, I think I think they'll probably be a fine Mountain West team from a tournament perspective. I've, I have no idea. They're losing a ton. I mean, Keita was so much more than just fourteen points and and whatever number of rebounds he averaged. He was like the defensive, just complete anchor for them, kind of changing the way. You you watch you watch Nemius Keita and you say that's not a Mountain West player, right? I mean, he looks like a guy that should be playing in like the the ACC. I mean, he was seven foot, big, strong, athletic kid. Uh, you know that that's just such a difference maker in terms of it changes the entire identity of your team. You know, so that that's tough. Uh, Justin Bean though is back and he's been kind of a double double type of guy up front for them for the last two years. So you know they do have a couple pieces, and if those UMBC guys are solid. Then, 
yeah, you're, you you got you got something there. You got the bones of a roster that could probably finish like mid pack. I I I, I, tell, I tend to think San Diego State, Nevada, Colorado State uh, are are definitely better, are definitely at least starting ahead of them. But mm-hmm. you know, I guess we'll see how good a coach Ryan Odom is after you know we 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 know he's got the magic as a 16 seed, but um, after that, what 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 can we do here? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, out of this. I'll ask you this question. Out of this conference, how many teams do you think could make the tournament? You know, like, and like these four conferences, they used to be like one to two bit leagues, right? Now, recently, they sort of gotten up to the, sort of that two to three status, and then usually like a fourth and the fifth team sort of battling out late in the season. Um, how many teams do you think that could actually make it out of this conference? I guess if I were betting, if I were setting like an over under, I would put it at probably like two and a half, maybe. Yeah, after I was thinking three and a half, and then you kind of mentioned it's usually two or three, and I yeah, I, I think two and a half is probably the number. I mean, yep. you're always going to get one. There's usually a second one that's good enough. Last year, what were there? Utah State, San Diego State. It was that I, it? I, it? Was yeah, it just I, I, Nevada wasn't that good a year ago, and I think Colorado State and Boise State sort of. They were on the bubble late in the year, but just couldn't get over that hump. And I think they ended up either in the NIT. I don't know if they actually accepted the bids or not. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think both teams were were in that kind of NIT or or basically if they made like a snub list of teams that missed the tournament, both of those ones were on it. And that that kind of ends up being the problem, right? Is that when these all these teams are kind of on the bubble, they cannibalize each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that makes it kind of tough late in the when you're talking late in the in the selection kind of number process, like if they're kind of down there all fighting for the same four or five spots with, with six other schools from different conferences, it's hard for them all to get in. So I think, yeah, two and a half would be my guess. I mean, I could see any one of probably four or five different teams potentially being those two or three teams. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'd say I'd go right in line with that. I'd say um, San Diego state I'd put in, um, Utah State, I could see them taking a step back. New head coach, uh, yep. lots of talent loss. I could see them missing the tournament. Um, Nevada, I definitely think will make the tournament. They have so much talent coming in. Um, and Steve Alford, he's got to be getting in, what, third, fourth, fifth season there. He's And I feel like there is a little learning curve with coaches too, You know, getting your guys in and then finding success when you have your guys in there. Yeah. Um, and then the other two possibilities, um, Colorado State and Boise State, we could just touch on them for a little bit. Um, Colorado State, really, no, they don't really lose a lot of players at all. Um, they get some, you know, Nico Vedvitt's a, a good coach. Um, they were right on that bubble a year ago, like we just talked about. Um, Isaiah Stevens is a guy, averaged 15 points and about five assists a game per game a year ago they actually get a transfer from a d2 school dallas baptist his name's chandler jacobs averaged 21 points per game there so he's a sort of an interesting prospect there um and then boise state um they're actually a team you know we talked weeks ago about memphis winning the nit um one of the teams they beat in the tournament last year was boise state and i don't see as much um talent on this team um i'd say they're probably my fifth ranked team out of the ones we're talking about um derek Olson's a guy who averaged a lot of 17 points per game from a year ago and he's gone and they don't have they got guys returning but not it's gonna be tough to replace that um sort of production um what do you think about those two other teams 
Yeah, I'm with you on Boise. Losing losing Alston's going to be tough to overcome just because he was he was he meant so much to them on kind of both ends of the floor. They do bring back I think their next like seven leading scorers and kind of minute getters. So yeah, and they're sort of like Florida State. They're sort of like Florida State in that sense with the eight to twelve points per game sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe and and if one of those guys can kind of take that leap, you know, maybe there's a chance. But that was a team that was really good last year, and then just kind of really fizzled out, I feel like, over the last kind of couple weeks of the season. They went from a team that everybody had as a, as a shoe-in for the tournament. All of a sudden, they just they never ended up beating anyone good. They just kept losing, and it was like, well, we can't, we can't, we can't do this. They've got a couple of down transfers, I think, Arizona guys that transferred down, and um, I think they're actually guys that probably fit better in this league, and it shows kind of why they couldn't cut it in the Pac-12. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think their coach, their coach is okay. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Colorado State, I think, has a chance to be really, really good because they bring back, like you said, everybody. Isaiah Stevens, really good. David Roddy's a machine. I think he'll be kind of, he'll get player of the year pub for them as well. He's like a 6'5, 250 pound center, but I mean, he is just a monster. He, he was a football star, star prospect as well out of Minnesota, and I mean, he is a beast. He's like a, he's like a 16 and 11 guy. He's a problem. So, you know they've they've got pieces coming back. I think there's some there's some interesting talent. It'll be interesting to see how their defense does because their defensive coordinator kind of assistant coach. Yeah, but I I think I think Colorado State has a chance to be to be pretty solid. And honestly, I think the gap between their floor and ceiling is similar to San Diego State, where I think they've got it. I think they're going to be rock solid either way. And, and I just tend to think like in six months we're going to see they're going to be a bubble team no matter what. Yep. And if they can win their conference tournament, they'll be in the tournament. Otherwise, they're they're going to be probably sweating it out just because, you know, these schools are, are in that situation because of the conference they play in. Yep. And just put a bow on this. You know, we mentioned five teams. Obviously, other teams could emerge. Um, but at the end of the day, like, a lot of times with these conferences, like, the ceiling is sort of that being in, like, like an eight, seven or eight seed in the tournament. Maybe a six. I know San Diego State was a six a year ago. Um but as far as for this year, I would say, you know, we talked about, it. I'd say San Diego State, Nevada, Colorado State are your three main teams to watch out for in this conference. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, let's shoot it over to the A-10. Um, just pick a team for me. Let's start off like that. St. Louis. St. Louis, he says. Um, I have to Actually, go to, go to a different St. Go to St. Bonaventure. That is the returning the team Saint that went to the tournament. The St. Bonaventure is actually my favorite team on this conference. One of my favorite you know, we, we both listen to Three Man Weave, and St. Bonnie's, I know, is a team that they love to talk about. And I see why. They wow. have – they return all five of their starters from a year ago. All five are double-digit scorers. And then I'm going to I'm gonna say this with a little asterisk just because, you know, with the extra year of eligibility, it's tough to know what class everyone is. But all these guys were juniors a year ago, meaning that they're seniors now. So this is an upperclassman laden team, all – Averaging double figures a year ago, all starting. And that's what I can say about this team. It, I'm excited for this team. Yeah, they got a, they got a ton of guys. But all five of their starters are back, like you said. I feel like they've added, if I'm not mistaken, they've also gotten like some transfers in that should be able to like give them. The issue with their team last year was they basically played like literally five guys, right? You want to be able yeah. to play like seven or eight guys. They had five guys. When they went to the bench, they were like screwed. They've added a couple of like kind of recruits out of, out of like junior colleges, a couple of transfers that have come in, um, you know, so that, so they maybe have a little bit more depth so these guys can maybe overcome, you know, a, a little bit there. 
But yeah, Kyle Lofton, he's one of the best guards in the in the A10. And, and their big guy, Osun Usuniyi. You're uh, usually the name guy. Right to me. Well, I always say I'm about to butcher it. He's so a monster. He's he's maybe the best like defensive player in the league. He was the defensive player of the year last year. He was a uh, he was an all-conference guy. He was on the all-defense. He's been on the all-defensive team every year he's been in college. The guy is a shot-blocking machine. Double-double kind machine. Of a potential double-double guy. So yeah. his impact on the game is huge. And, and then they've got, like like you said, they got five guys who average double figures. So it's not like they're just – it's not like it's, uh, you know, one guy and friends here. They've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of pieces of guys that can hurt you. Yeah. And, like, it's not – like, they fill all sort of – like, you talk about filling out these check marks, right? You want an assist guy. Kyle Lofton averages five and a half assists per game. You want all five-year guys to be able to rebound. Um, you have nine and a half rebounds out of Asunye. Dominic Welch, six rebounds. Jalen Attaway, six rebounds. Jaron Holmes, 5.3. Kyle Lofton is sort of the outlier, 3.5. But four out of those five guys rebound well for their position. Yeah. And then the biggest thing, um, and it's sort of a key theme with some of these conferences that we're talking about tonight, but they're a very good defensive team. You talked about Asunye being defensive player of the year. Um, they rank seventh in all of Division One last year in points per game given up. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Asunye is is really the catalyst for that, right? I mean, a defensive big guy like that is just such a difference maker, especially in these in these mid-major conferences where generally the big man talent is not as um, – it's not as robust. There's not. There's just not as much of it. There's not. There's not as many guys who play high level defense like that. So you know, you find a guy like that who can just control the entire game. I mean, that, that makes a big difference. And we we saw that last year. That's why I think they were a popular pick last year in the tournament to win a game or two was because they play they play really strong, terrific team defense. And you've got guys that are connected. They're old. They're big. They're strong. You know, that's. It, it seems like there's not really a big weak spot. In, in their group. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's going to give them a chance to, that gives them a very high floor. All right, John, let, let's, let's, let's move it on over to a different saints. Let's, let's go to St. Louis, the, uh, okay. the home of the old Rams. That's where they used to play for, for people who listen to the pod that are like under the age of like seven, they used to be the St. Louis Rams. Isn't that crazy really? to think about? That is crazy. Uh, also the arches. It's not just McDonald's. St. Louis has arches too. So that's another fun fact. Um, anyway, I think this team's got a chance to be pretty good. They they bring back like they lose uh, a couple of really solid longtime multi year starters in Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French, who are like basically when you watch this team get off the bus, those are the first two guys you want off the bus because Hassan French is like he looks like the he looks like the quintessential that guy should be playing tight end the NFL because he was like six seven and like two seventy. But they bring back Javante Perkins, their leading scorer, 17 a game. They bring back Gibson Jimerson, who was a double-figure scorer two years ago before last year. He kind of took a bit of a backseat uh, with all the other guys kind of emerging. He's a 40% three-point guy. They bring back Yuri Collins, who is a, a kind of uh, – he's just kind of a floor general point guard. He gets you six assists. He's going he's gonna to make a layup every once in a while, play decent enough defense, uh, and he's just going to kind of keep the chains moving, so to speak. And then they bring in a transfer big man from Oregon, Francis Socorro, who, when he played for the Ducks, I think he had some really nice flashes of a guy who can impact the game defensively and just kind of be that that physical presence in the paint. I actually think if people are down on this team because they're losing Goodwin and French, I, I could understand it. I, I tend to think there's a little bit of uh, 
who I think it's Bill Simmons who has the uh, he's got the Ewing theory. So when when good players are out, the team actually gets better in some cases. I, I tend to I tend to subscribe to the Ewing theory with these guys. I think the loss of Goodwin and French, while while it looks like it's going to be tough to replace their points and rebounds and stats, I actually think the team might be better without them because there'll just be more room to operate. Are you saying Ewing like Patrick Ewing? Is that? I think that's I think that's the the like yeah the 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 birth of it. Is that a thing? Like, is he referring to like the Knicks? I feel like they got worse when he left the Knicks. Maybe. I mean, Bill Simmons. He says a lot of stuff. Okay. As you found out, when we have podcasts, we have to come up with different takes all the time. We're not well, going to hit on all of them. I know Bill Simmons is a Boston guy, and Boston guys are the toughest to deal with. Indeed, those well, Patriots Philly, fans. Philly guys too, maybe. That's true. Um, Green Bay, South Dakota, Dallas. North Dakota, Duke, Duke, yeah, <laughs> Alabama. Yeah. Anyway, okay. let's go to another team here. Um, VCU Bigs made history last year. They did. Yes. Do you Do you know why? Enlighten me. The only team to ever forfeit a tournament game due to a global pandemic. After a season in which the entire <laughs> tournament was forfeited due to a global pandemic. True. After a team that won the national title, lost to a 16 seed the year before. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> what a circle we just did there. Now, this team loses a very key player, Bones Highland, averaging about 20 points per game last year. He's off to the NBA, right? Now. They do get an interesting transfer. You know, we talked about the 130% rule. Marcus Tahonis, a transfer down from Washington, averaged 10 points per game in the Pac-12. He pairs up with guys like Vince Williams, uh, Hassan Ward, a- Adrian Baldwin. And and I'm not saying this team's going to make the tournament, but they definitely could be a team that sort of, I don't know, surprises you and sort of is on that bubble come tournament time. And maybe if they get in the, one of those first four in games, they can make a little noise come tournament time. Yeah, absolutely. Are we are we in or out on the name Bones? How do you feel about that? Is that a cool name or is that just like being too much? C- can you guess his actual name? Oh, I feel like I read it. I don't remember. Is it like Deshaun? Nushan. Nushan. Okay. Nushan. Nushan Highland. Is it a situation where... You know, you talk about Penny Hardaway, and would he even be a coach if he didn't have the name Penny? Yeah. Do you think? Well, which name is more normal, Bones or Nishan? Well, what if he just said like a normal name, like like Greg? <laughs> I always look forward to which names you're going to come up with. If his name is Nishan, why does he feel the need to change it to Bones? They're both ridiculous. It's it's so true. Like unless unless like bone bones could be maybe like what he what it, what he turns the people that try to guard him into is just I'm gonna I'm gonna turn you into bones and you're gonna go to the boneyard. You know maybe that's is maybe, this a is thing? That, could that be the think, thing? I don't think that's a thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, I thought the wasn't the boneyard. Have you remember the from the Lion King that wasn't the hyenas like going to the boneyard? I feel like something like that. It's been, off on that. I would say it's been ages since I watched that. It's been decades since I watched that. Could also be a great uh, name for like a like a strip club or like a bar of some sort, like the Boneyard. The Boneyard Bar and Grill. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think VCU's got a chance. I mean, they're, they're always good, right? Not, very rarely is VCU bad. 
that's another one where I don't, I don't actually know who's good for them. I mean, you name some guys. I, I know Vince Williams has been a good player for them for a couple of years, and, and they've got some some pieces. I don't know if they've got the kind of depth that we usually associate VCU. It feels like I think of VCU, and I think they're pressing, they're running and trapping, they're bringing eight, nine guys onto the floor. They don't have anybody. Their offense is a slog, right? They get stuck in the mud a lot, but they just they win because they just out-athlete people with their depth. I don't know if they've got that. I think that's compromised a little bit with guys leaving and guys getting hurt. But it's VCU, so it's really hard to just close your eyes and think like that team's going to suck because they're always good. John, there's one more A-10 team I think that's worth talking about, and that's Richmond. Rich what? Richmond! Rich what? We didn't practice that at all, so that was really well well done by us. We're really in key here. Yeah, we really are. We're so connected. Tell me about them, Biggs. Okay, I think they're going to be good. They were really disappointing last year. They they entered the year last year as a team that a lot of people, when looking at the A-10, kind of prognosticating, thought, this team's got some juice. They won, I think, 23, 24 games the previous year. And kind of in the St. Bonaventure mold, right? The, the way we're talking about St. Bonaventure right now was the way people were talking about Richmond last year. They're bringing back everybody. They've got all this. They're they're super connected. They're in sync. They've got all this experience. Uh, this is going to be a dangerous team. And then really early in the year, do you remember they knocked off Kentucky? And everyone was like, it's on. Richmond is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and then Kentucky ended up kind of sucking, so that win yep. didn't age very well. And, and Richmond, I think, was one of the more disappointing teams in the country. They just were not, for whatever reason, things just did not go very well, despite all their experience. Well, if maybe, if if we're going to throw out last year, and that's, that's the rule, right? If your team was bad, we throw out last year. Last year didn't count. If your team was good, it was like, you know what? No, that still counts. So that's just the way it goes. They bring back, I think, four of their five starters from last year, including Jacob Gilliard, who's one of the top kind of point guards in the league, Nathan Kao, who is kind of a swing kind of power forward type, Nick Sherrod, who's a multi-year starter. Now, and he, he hit, so like I'm look, looking at my sort of cheat sheet here. He averaged 12.7 points per game two years ago. He tore his ACL a year ago. Do you think he can recover from that? I, I mean – Hopefully, I mean, I think a lot of guys, he wouldn't be the first one to recover from it. I mean, he wouldn't be the first guy not to recover from it either. But I don't think he's in a he's in such a pivotal role where he's got to play 40 minutes a game and be leaned on heavily. So I think you approach this like anything they get out of him is, is gravy, right? I mean, you've got Grant Golden, who is one of the top players in, in the conference. John, on their roster, they have... A lot of seniors. Is that where you're going to go with this? They have 19 guys on their roster, which I'm not sure how that works. They must have a bunch of walk-ons. Mm-hmm. Okay, graduate students, okay, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, six graduate students. Wow. That's a 30-year roster. Do you think we'll see, like, the graphic this year? I, th- I think it was – they compared, like – I can't remember who. Oh, Wisconsin to the Chicago Bulls, like the yeah. average age, like a year ago. Do you think we'll see that this year with Richmond? I could see that they've got not not only do they have six graduate students, they also have four guys who are like either seniors or redshirt juniors. So ten of their nineteen guys in their roster are are like twenty two and up. So like, tell you so what, I'm, these guys can like go hit the bars after. Maybe that's gonna maybe maybe I gotta rethink this. They probably won't be as good. These guys are gonna be coming over hung over a lot probably. Maybe. Maybe uh, maybe Chris Mooney has them well disciplined though. Maybe, 
Yes. Maybe they have a maybe they have like a healthy relationship with alcohol. Could be. Hopefully. They just like to maybe tip a few beers back once in a while. They don't like to hit it hard and get after like the vodka sprites. They could also be like uh, Blue Mountain State, though. Maybe. Maybe the alcohol yes. makes them better. Maybe they got to play drunk. Could be. I've heard of that. I'm better at like Guitar Hero and Rock Band when I'm drunk. True. I'm better yes. at dancing when I'm drunk. Yeah. I mean, and talking you think to you, girls, they're not as scary. You think you are. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's toss it over to the American. Now, there's two main teams. I think we can both agree on that. One of them made the Final Four a year ago. That is Houston. Um, I do think that they're going to take a step back this year. And I think their main challenger is Memphis. And it's sort of a yin to yang type effect, like you always like to say, where Houston is sort of the upperclassmen, right? They get their guys in for three, four years, get them to gel together, be a good team. Whereas Memphis is not only going to have freshmen, they're going to have two reclassified freshmen who should only be seniors in high school this year. Now, would you give the edge to the experience or the more raw talent here? Boy, that's a great question. They are very, they are very yin and yang. You're right. I mean, it feels like one is very blue collar uh, guys who haven't really ever been given kind of their due. They've been slept on. And, And then on one side, we've got, very Hollywood, it feels like, with with all the Memphis kids coming in with such high recruiting pedigree. Almost like the Fab Five from years ago. A little bit, yeah. And and while, you know, there's only two kind of high-level recruits, I'm very curious. I think the one thing that people are not talking about really at all with Memphis is just the, the, the amount – I mean, how – Calipari is, I think, for whatever we think of him as a coach – he does a really good job of getting a bunch of five-star freshmen who have always been the man on their teams to come in and play roles, right? Everybody talks about how Anthony Davis played like the six-month minutes or whatever on his team, and he took like the six-month shots. Carl Towns did the same deal. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. He always gets these guys who come in with such huge pedigree. They, they find a way to coalesce and play together. I, I think I'm really more fascinated to see that aspect of Memphis because – because truly, I think Memphis has enough talent to win a national title, right? But it, it kind of that old adage of like the only team that can beat Memphis is itself. They, I think, as they've got as good a chance of beating themselves as anybody because there's so much talent. Amani Bates doesn't care if Memphis wins a lot, right? Amani Bates is there because he's out for Amani Bates. Yep. Jalen Duran probably out for Jalen Duran. The only reason those yep. guys are there is because Memphis paid for them. Yeah. And they and they just want to go on. They want to move on to the NBA. So not that they won't lead Memphis to a lot of wins because they're incredibly talented, but I'm curious if there's any sort of impact of that kind of mindset that starts to maybe creep in with Memphis at all. If they start kind of thinking, hey, look at me. Then you've got other these other guys that have been on the team for several years who probably have professional basketball player goals and aren't as quick to just bow at the altar of these five star 17 year old freshmen. And they and they say, hey, no, I'm I'm here too. I want my shots too, right? Earl Timberlake, um, uh, who's the uh, Lester Quinones, and who's the other who's the other swingman that they got from Virginia Tech who led them in scoring last year? I forget I forget his name. It's escaping. Oh, uh, Landers Nolly. Yeah, Landers Nolly, right? He's he's been the leading scorer on his last two college teams. Yep. You, you know, you think he's going to just start being a assist guy? Probably not. Uh, so I'm curious about that impact of Memphis. And that's where maybe the Penny Hardaway as a coach, I, I call it a question. Can, can he run up a good play on an, on an out-of-bounds play to get somebody a shot? I, 
I don't know. I don't really care. They're good enough probably to have somebody play out and do it. But can he manage all those egos? You know, I think that's something yeah. that that doesn't really get talked about much. I have no idea. It's it's yet to be seen if he can do that kind of thing. And, and so that that'll be really interesting. Uh, Houston, on the other hand, I, I feel like we're kind of going back to the Mountain West teams where the the gap between a team's floor and ceiling is is really small. I think that's the way I view Houston. I think even if Houston isn't as good as however good we think they're going to be, even if they're not that good, I still think they're going to be pretty good. Right. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't think they've got final four potential this year. Just, you know, their talent, but I, but I think they're going to be just rock solid and I, they're very steady. I don't know. Do you get that vibe too? Or, or what do you think? Houston, I get such a vibe of Virginia. Um, they don't, I don't, don't really feel like they play a similar style necessarily like walking the ball up the floor or anything, but like very defensive minded team. Yeah. They're just um, tough as in hell. Yeah. Houston gave up 58 points per game a year ago. That's like, that's probably what North Carolina averages against Virginia. Maybe even less, actually. That might take them two games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, Houston, just looking at addition subtra- subtractions, they lose three starters. Um, Quentin Grimes, the leading scorer. They lose Marcus, or not Marcus Sasser. They lose uh, Dijon Giroux, sort of their Swiss Army knife, do it all guy, sort of a, a wing player, but he was a tall. I remember being like 6'7, six, 6'8, six, and sort of lanky. Um, Justin Gorham, one of their post players, um, very good rebounder. And who do they get in? They get Kyler Edwards from Texas Tech, a talented guard. Um, but I don't think that the additions are really anywhere close to the subtractions. Um, I think Kyler Edwards could take a step forward. I think Marcus Sasser could take a step forward. Um, Tremont Marks, another guard who's going to slide yep. into a starter starting role who could definitely take a step forward. Um, and then tossing it over to Memphis, one thing I find interesting here, you know, we talked about Imani Bates. We talked about Jalen Duran. Now, those two were very late commitments and also reclassifications. And even before those two committed, they had a talented recruiting class. They had three three different four-star guys coming in, and Jonathan Lawson, Josh Minnett, Minot, and Sam Onu. Now, I wonder, because, like, you know, they're committing to Memphis at a certain time, not knowing – Duran and Imani Bates are going there and they're probably expecting some sort of playing time. How long until a little, who was it? I think it was um, Wendell Moore the year that Marcus or Marvin Bagley also committed there. And like his mom or dad was complaining that like coach K told Wendell Moore that he's going to be the guy when he committed. Then all of a sudden Marvin Bagley comes in and just changes everything. I wonder if something like that's going to happen here where eventually there's going to be sort of a divided locker room. Um, yeah, but, yeah. So, t- do you want to talk on that at all? No, I mean, I, that's I was I was kind of thinking that 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 same thing was running through my head. I absolutely could see that kind of thing happening, and I mean, some of these guys that are probably it just feels like an entire team of uh, it feels very NBA like where they're all just kind of very mercenary like, and I'm curious if anybody is actually out for making the team better, and, and I could <laughs> see that thing imploding. Uh, Again, I think Memphis is going to be really good, but we're talking about a team that has national title expectations, so the thinnest of margins can bring a team down, right? I think I think Memphis could have that kind of thing. I really do. I think they've got a if, – if, if, the, if the thing kind of caves in on them, I think it could go bad really quickly, you know, but I think – also I think if everything clicks and they're good, obviously they've got enough talent to, to win the whole thing. Yep. And so, yeah, let's just look at a little roster construction for Memphis, though. You know, we talked about – if they were to go their best five players, right? 
They're probably going Imani Bates. They're probably going Landers Nolly, DeAndre Williams, who is actually a returning player, just like Landers Nolly is. Yep. And then um, Duran. Duran. Uh, sorry, I got to start over. Nolly, Bates, Williams, Duran, and then probably either Lester Quinones or Earl Timberlake. Those are probably their five most talented players. Now, in that lineup, and that is something they've talked about doing, but in that lineup, who is their point guard? It's Imani Bates. He's, what is he, 6'8 or so? He's a. He's a, he's a small forward. That's his position by trade. Now, yeah. the other side of it is, do they have a dedicated point guard? And they do have a good guy for that. They have Alex Lomax. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like sort of the in thing to do. You know, you talk about, oh, let's just put the five, five best guys on the floor. Well, is the five best guys necessarily the best strategy for them, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. They're probably going to play point guard by committee. I would assume Lomax is going to play. I mean, he's not going to probably play like 35 minutes a game or anything. I'm sure there will be stretches of a game where that that is your five guys. And in that case, I don't think they probably give the ball to one guy after a made basket. He walks up the floor, passes it along like a like a true point guard. It's probably just we're getting the ball up the floor and and we're getting into our offense and, and you know, we're just going to we're going to work with that. Um you know, if they, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what kind of, to be honest, truth be told, Memphis's offense has kind of been a trash fire ever since Penny's been there, their offense is never what helps them win. It's their defense is always so good. I don't know what kind of defense he runs. Do they want to run everything through their point guard, like an NBA style, you know, where it's Dame Lillard getting high ball screens in the middle of the floor, 40 feet from the basket the whole time, or, or, you know, with Steph Curry or whatever, you know, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, these point guards that all get ball screens and everything is run through them. I don't know if Memphis wants to play that way, or if it's more of a pass and cut kind of deal. Um, I tend to think they're going to win with their defense and their athleticism, and they're just going to out-athletic a lot of the lesser teams. And that's why it'll be interesting to see when they when they actually do play good teams in their non-conference that don't let them out-athletic them, you know, so to speak. How, how, how do they run half-court offense? Yep. Um, all right, so, yeah, let's get into another team here. We have Wichita State, who is another intriguing team. Um, over the past two years, they've had um, some turmoil, we'll call it, with their head coach. Uh, former head coach. They get Isaac Brown um, sort of on the interim tag a year ago, and he proved himself enough to get that full-time position going forward. Um, as far as last year, a successful year, season a year ago, they went 16-6, and six, um, made the tournament as a six seed, lose to Drake. Um, they do return their best player, Wait, Tyson. Degrassi, Degrassi star Drake? Yes, the same one, Degrassi star. And he's still looking for his T-shirts with the Drake Bulldogs. Um, but you'd think he'd have the hookups for that. It's weird. Anyways. I know. I can't believe it. Yeah. Tyson Etienne is a returning guy who's really one of the better players in the entire conference. Um, they get Joe Pleasant, who sort of rode the coattails of that upset win over Texas. He comes from Abilene Christian. They have a D2 transfer, um, Qua Grant, coming in from West Texas A&M, 22 points per game a year ago. Now, what, what, what's the percentage for D2 to D1, do you think? 50%? Ooh. I don't even know if it's 50%. I mean, that's that's a tough one. That that's what We're going to need more data on that. I think we need more data points. I don't have enough D2 to D1 transfer ups. We've got three or four that we've already mentioned in our preview pods here so far. I think this will give us valuable data points for next year. Yeah. Blank um, slate here for these D2 guys. We, we need to hire someone like this. If anyone out there is listening, any of our family members, if you are good with statistics, let us know. Um, and then one other guy they get, they do have a four-star freshman center coming in, Kenny Poto, and he could sort of you know, 
transfer or transfer. He could sort of uh, battle for a starting position. Um, what do you think of this team, Biggs? I think they'll be fine. I mean, Wichita, Kansas, it's in tornado country. So, you know, I think they're just going to be tornadoing their way through the AAC. I think they'll be solid. I think there's better teams, obviously, but I think they're, you know, they were they were solid. I mean, everybody thought they were going to be trash last year, and they were pretty good. So let's keep it rolling. What are they called? The Wichita State. What is Wichita Shockers. State? Shockers. The Shockers. Yeah, that's pretty badass. I'm in on that. Biggs, let's talk about SMU. I'm in on this team, man. I'm in on SMU. I think they've got a chance. They were a team that I thought was going to be really good last year, and COVID just kind of wiped them out. They went, I feel like, six weeks or something from like mid-January until March, basically playing like one game. They played like very few games. I think SMU's got a really good chance to, to really surprise people. And I honestly would not be surprised if they're one of those teams. We're talking about Memphis and Houston right now as the clear one-twos. I wouldn't be surprised if SMU cracks that group because they've got they've got a lot of experience coming back, and they've got one of the best players in the league in point guard Kendrick Davis. I mean, he's going to be kind of one of your Koozie Award finalists. He is a stud. Uh, he averaged 19 points and almost eight assists a game last year on good on good percentages. And I think they've got they've just got talented pieces all around them. So I'm I'm in on the uh, the Mustangs. Yeah, and then just like they they do have some uh, some up transfers here too, Biggs. Um, Zach Natal coming from Sam Houston State averaged 19 a game there. They have Michael Weathers and Marcus Weathers. I have no clue if they're brothers or not. Um, Michael Weathers from Texas Southern, Marcus Weathers from Duquesne, averaging 16 and 15 respect, respectfully. Now, if I could find a fault in this team, I don't see a ton of depth with this team. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got Emmanuel Bandumel, who was their second-leading scorer last year, who's back. Uh, Darius McBride, I think, was a solid piece for them last year, too. Are you saying Darius McNeil? McNeil, my mistake. I'm sorry. Because yeah, I see he, it says he's transferred to UTSA. Oh, well, there goes that then. That sucks. <laughs> I thought I saw him on the roster. Oh, I didn't. I'm looking at a different guy. Okay, well, that sucks then. I do think I do think Michael Weathers, though, he's a Texas Southern transfer who also started out at Oklahoma State. So that's a guy that's played high major basketball before. Tristan Clark is another one who, um, you know, he was like one of the best players for Baylor like two or three years ago and just has a, had a ton of injuries. You know, if there's any chance he gives them something, boy, that's that's another piece kind of inside that could be a real difference maker. You're, you're right, though. Their depth is – it's maybe not – it's it, it's discouraging. I'll put it that way, mm-hmm. especially up front. They do not have a lot of size. I mean, you're looking at their mm-hmm. roster here. They, they, they're very guard heavy, so I'm a little mm-hmm. concerned about that – here, here's what I, I guess the way I'll say it is I think this team has a chance to be really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to pile up points, and, and they're going to be dangerous. Okay. I like it. Uh, let's toss over to one more conference, Biggs, um, and that's the West Coast. I say let's leave Gonzaga for last. Let's, uh, let's talk about the teams who we think could challenge them. Um, I, think, I think I've told you this before. I have this theory with the West Coast, right? where Gonzaga is obviously the best program from that conference. And obviously they're an elite college basketball program. And I feel like it gives off this little uh, impression that whoever is the second best team in that conference is automatically almost like given a little preferential treatment to where in the last case, last year the BYU was their second best team. They get a six seed. I think they got a little benefit of that whole thing with the six seed being in Gonzaga's conference. 
Yeah, it's kind of like the second best team in the SEC. Like everyone's Alabama, right, has been just like the far and away dominant team in the country. It's like you almost want to just skip number two because no one's even close to them. By putting the number two in front of some team's name, you're like implying that they're actually close to competing with Alabama, and yes. they're just not. So it's like I wish we could just have number two be like an open slot. I mean, in the WCC, honestly, it should be like two, three, and four are open slots because literally no one is close to Gonzaga, right? right? Yes. Um. So, yeah, let's talk about BYU then because, you know, St. Mary's we could talk about. I just Like they had such a bad year last year. Could they – rise to that point of being the second best team in the conference again, maybe. But even if they do, I don't think they're going to make a lot of noise in the tournament. Um, BYU does have a very good player, though. Alex Barcelo, he's a senior. Averaged 16 points per game last year. Very talented guard. Um, he's going to be relied on a lot. He does lose his running mate in Brandon Everett. Um, they also lose their center, Matt Harms. You know, the, Do you remember Matt Harms at Iowa? Or, was, or Purdue, sorry, Purdue. Purdue. Always playing with his hair. Was that him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was one of those yes. guys, man. Every single time you saw him on camera, if you did some sort of Matt Harms, like, drinking game, every time he was on camera, he throws, does the thing where he's, where he's yep. sticking back his hair. It's like, you're drunk by halftime. <laughs> you're drunk by, like, the under-12 timeout. Every single really? time he does anything. It's, why do you have that hair then? Just get rid of it. <laughs> Cut your hair. Yes, yes. And, and he had it styled the way to where – He had it, like, styled to the – point where like if he got sweaty at all it was just ruined automatically yeah what are you even yeah. doing why are you putting style in your hair it's gonna get all in your eyes wouldn't it yeah he should he should have done like the mike miller back in the day with the heat with the headband and the long and like he had that nice flow that's what he should have yeah. done he should have yeah kids make um, i guess yeah and okay i don't know if you know this guy tajan lucas transferring from milwaukee stuffed the stat sheet over at milwaukee average 14 points almost six assists per game do you know much about this guy yeah i mean he's one of the few there's only i mean there's the list doesn't take it doesn't it's not a long list of guys who did what tajan lucas did where it was like a 15 points almost six assists five rebounds type of production i i guess i'm not sure it it seems like people are awfully excited about that transfer for byu because they're, they're getting a lot of hype he gives them, I think the the issue with BYU before he transferred in was it was like Barcelo and, and then what kind of on the perimeter. They just don't have a lot of depth on their on their perimeter. They're going to have to probably develop some guys that we just don't know about yet. He gives them a proven piece, though, who who has been kind of the man for a Milwaukee team that I think was like Milwaukee was pretty bad. So I guess it's hard to know how good Deshaun Lucas is, but he, he put up numbers. So him and him and Barcelo, I think, give you some dyn, dy, uh, dyn, dynamism. Dinosaurs. Some, some dinosaurs, yeah. Yes. You can think yeah, of that. Okay. Uh, okay, let's finish here, Biggs. Let's talk about, I mean, really the meat of this episode. And that is the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who you may remember this a year ago, just running through opponents, right? They end up going into the going into the national championship game 31-0. and Sets up a matchup with Baylor. And all the entire season is like, okay, we, we, we know these two teams are the best in the country, but everyone sort of thought 1A, Gonzaga, 1B, Baylor, right? Baylor says not so fast. Um, if I'm putting it in boxing terms, you know how like boxers come out after the opening bell and they like hit glo- they like tap gloves with each other? Baylor was like, nah, nah, I'm not going to tap gloves with you. I'm just going to give you the knockout punch right away. Um, Davion, I can't think of his name. Davion Mitchell just goes nuts the first couple minutes. I think he had like eight points the first three minutes. And Gonzaga just got the doors blown off of them. Now, fast forward a little bit. Jalen Suggs, talented freshman, gone. Corey Kispert, gone. 
Joel Ayayi, also gone. Now, they do have, I believe it's a top, Is it? do they have the top recruiting class or does Memphis? I bet Memphis does at this point. You think point. Memphis does? Probably. Um, well, either way, Gonzaga has a very good recruiting class. Three five-star guys. Um, Chet Holmgren, number one recruit in the class. Um, loves to wear five five of his faces on his T-shirts. Um, Hunter Salas, a talented wing player, coming in. Nolan Hickman, a talented point guard, coming in. They return Drew Timmy, the guy with the mustache. Return Andrew Nemhart, who he was sort of a mix of a starter and a six-man a year ago. They get a transfer and receiver Bolton from Iowa State. I don't think people are talking about him. Averaged 15 points per game for Iowa State last year. He's coming in. What do you think of this team? Do you think they're going to be better than last year? If I were to ask you this, what does, what what would you be more surprised with? Them making the Final Four or them having, say, a second-round exit? Which one would, would surprise you more? Oh, a second-round exit for sure. I mean, yeah. Gonzaga, people, people I feel like always down-talk Gonzaga in the tournament, and they say, like, they always choke. And it's like, they – they're, they well, have had that happen, though. They have. They've had. They've had a couple of upsets over the last like twenty years. I mean, which which program that was a high seed consistently as a high seed hasn't had a couple upsets? You can't really think of right. too many. You know, I mean, they consistently get to the Sweet Sixteen. They get to this the Elite Eights. You know, they they now they've gotten to two title games, and and last year obviously that that was eye opening watching them just get absolutely trucked by Baylor. I, I I thought Baylor was really good last year, so that didn't surprise me that they lost. But them getting just completely boat raced. Was was awfully damning, I think, but that shouldn't take away from that was a damn good team last year. I don't think they're going to be better, you know, if if the two teams were to somehow clone each other and play, you know, an open gym or something. I think last year's Gonzaga is a little better. Yep. You know, just because I, I I'm more I'm more sure about what the guards look like. I don't know how good. I mean, I think Andrew Nemhard is a is a fine player. You know, I think he, I think he's going to be really good in the WCC, and I think he's a, he's a good player. And he started for two years at Florida. He's solid. I don't know how good Hunter Salas is. I think he's fine. I mean, I think he's going to be a good freshman. I don't think he's going to like blow the doors off anybody. I, I'm not expecting lottery pick level play from him. Uh, Rasir Bolton, I think you, you mentioned. I, I think people aren't talking about him enough. I think he's good. I don't think he, he's a 15 and a half points a game guy on a god awful Iowa State team. I th- I'm, I'm looking at him more as like a microwave off the bench scorer type. Yeah, and that could be a great role for him. Absolutely, absolutely. He can no. come in and chuck it, and if he's hot, you leave him in. If he's not, um, you know, see ya. Sit your ass on the bench. Their front court, though, is going to be just absolutely monstrous, right? Yep. Timmy is probably the best returning player in college hoops. Chet Holmgren is the best recruit in college hoops and probably has the biggest brand in the sport at this point. Um, is there going to be a more hated duo than those two? I mean, they, they oh. just seem very hateable, don't they? They're, I could see them doing, like, chest bumps in the middle of the game, like running on the floor. Oh yeah, or just like them, like somehow on the bench, just like getting phones and like taking selfies and like Instagram shots at like girls or something. I don't know. I could see them being yeah. just like really obnoxious. They're gonna be damn good though. I mean, Holmgren yeah. is an absolute force defensively. I don't know what his offensive game is. I mean, he can shoot it a little bit. He's so thin that it's hard to imagine. But he's I got know. a, you know, he's he's productive everywhere he goes. And I mean, he can handle the rock. He can shoot it. He can do it all. Like. Right, he can, he can do a little bit of everything, but I think defensively is where people are going to see this guy just – it's Anthony Davis-like. I mean, he just erases so much stuff. It, you know, you think about how Evan Mobley changed the way USC defended last year. Their two-point defense was the best in the country because this guy basically eliminates everything from like 10 feet in. 
Holmgren is like that. He he just yeah. eliminates everything inside. He's going to be just such a deterrent for people. I think teams are going to be just missing crazy amounts of layups just because they think Holmgren's going to be in the area. And that's that's the kind of impact I think he's going to have defensively for them. And Anton Watson, who played a lot yeah. for them last year as a big guy too, that, that trio is just going to, I think, wear people out. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, it's undeniable the level of talent this team has. Um, yeah. There, there's a reason. I think they're sort of the consensus number one ranked team heading into the season. Um, as far – like I. They're ranked number one. I don't think they're the best team in the country, though. I think a lot of that is just the level of success they had a year ago. Um, you know, they have a lot. They lost a lot of talent a year ago. Um, they got guys to fill that talent, but I still think as I think, ju- I think you need to just slightly pump the brakes a little bit. Um, I don't think they're the best team in the country. I guess I'd probably give that to a team like Villanova or someone. Um, but yes, very good team for sure. Sounds like you're just hating. Maybe a little bit. No, I, I I think I'm with you. I think, I mean, if they're ranked number one, which I expect them to be, that wouldn't surprise me, nor do I think it's, like, egregious. I have a hard time picking that. I think I think Kansas would be probably in that mix. I think Villanova's probably in that mix. You're right. Um, yeah, who else is there? Maybe maybe, uh, maybe Kentucky, Minnesota. maybe Memphis. I, I guess I don't know. You know, all these teams are so similar that – I don't think it's like last year where it's Baylor and, and Gonzaga and then just like a massive drop off. And, and that's my hope, you know, is that there's more balance. Yeah. All right. We're going to get out here, Biggs. Um, I do have one more question to finish off with. I want you to take Gonzaga out of the picture here. If there's one of the teams we talked about tonight that makes the Elite Eight or Final Four, makes that sort of run, who do you think it is? Well, the easy the easy pick would be Memphis, right? Just because the level of talent that they've got, there's a chance that they're going to be good enough. I think also the there's a chance that they're going to be like the amount of hype that they're going to have already just puts them at like second base in terms of a seeding six months from now, right? I mean, Memphis, I don't see like I don't see like San Diego State or Nevada or Colorado State or some of these A ten teams getting like so good that they get like a one or two seed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like you mentioned it with Mountain West teams outside of like that San Diego State occasionally where they'll be like a two or three seed or something. It's hard for those teams to crack like higher than like a like a single digit seed, right? Yep. I could see Memphis having just kind of enough preseason hype and the way they're, they're you know the amount of hype that they have, where I, I could see them being like one of those high seeded kind of teams just just on kind of pedigree. So that one's that one's probably an easy one. I guess if if I'm going outside the box though a little bit. I would say Nevada. I really do. I think Nevada's got the kind of talent that could be – they could make a deep run in that thing, I think, if, if everything's right for them. Okay. And, yeah, I would, I'd say I, – I would agree. I think Memphis is the most talented. Um, the other – okay, the way I'd put it, the other two I would consider would be Houston and St. Bonaventure. Now, I yeah. now say, for example, out of those three, say if Houston or St. Bonaventure were the best of those three, I still don't think they're necessarily – elite eight level right um whereas if memphis is the better of those three teams i think they are elite eight level so just put it simply they have the highest roof out of any of those yep but also the lower, lowest floor i like that you say roof instead of ceiling i'm gonna start doing that I'm well the ceiling that. is the roof is that what that is that, that was a michael jordan thing what, what are the trusses then that's what that's what makes the roof right you don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? No. 
it was so like a few years ago it was during i think it was during duke carolina at halftime um jordan comes on the floor to announce like the partnership between the jordan brand and north carolina football and he's talking and he goes as far as this partnership the ceiling is the roof and just got torn up about it and it, i think he actually started selling shirts after that too because michael Maybe jordan just, his brand can just sell anything it really can't. I mean, he has commercials where he literally doesn't say anything. Like guys, are, like those Hanes commercials where guys are like, "Hey, Michael, my Hanes are feeling good," and he's just like looking at him like, "Yeah, dude, I'm getting paid so much money right now to sit here and smile." <laughs> what a life. Uh, all what right. Uh, yes. Um, you ready to get out of here, Biggs? I am. Oh, it's getting late. I know you have a job tomorrow. I do too. So uh, let's uh, stop this recording. Um, but I think we did a good job covering these mid-major teams, Biggs. I think so, too. I would give us a solid, like, A-minus, B-plus caliber work. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I do. I think so, too. I think you were, you had a really good touch there with, with some of those teams. You're really bringing a lot of great information. <laughs> I think we've stepped it up and grown as potters. I think we're coming you know, we're coming yes. into our own. Yes, and if there's anyone who wants to sponsor with us, just DM us. DMs are always open. Indeed. Okay, let's get out of here. All right, bye.